Well, good morning, Harland. Good to see you today. It's good to be seen. It is good to be seen. Well, if you're a uh, Chiefs fan, which I have become, yes, yes, glad to hear that some of you, I know, I know. It, it did my heart well to see a Broncos shirt today, I must confess, and so as I think a little bit about the Patriots, I know you're thankful they lost last week. Um, I heard that yay was too exciting. Yes, Mahomes, I hope it's not too early today for his knee. I hope it's not too early. Well, we've been in this series called Thresholds. This is week two. Last week, we talked about being a difference maker. Uh, uh, so how can I make a difference? How do I move from a posture uh, of being the victim to an agent of change where I can make a difference in my world? And, and we went on a prayer exercise. If you remember, if you were here, we went into a cabin together. Uh, we may resurrect some of that today. But uh, today's threshold conversation is really about moving from loneliness uh, to friendship. So how, how can I make friends? If last week was about making a difference, then, then how can I make friends? So reminder, threshold by definition. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. We, we've got the bottom of a doorway, so that's very, uh, very uh, normal for us to understand. It's a place of entering a beginning, so the threshold of like a new career. It's the magnitude or intensity that must be uh, exceeded for a certain condition, such as a chemical, um, to occur and the point at which a stimulus is of sufficient, can't read that word all the way in the end, intensity. intensity. Guys, you're with me, thank you. To begin to produce an effect like a threshold of pain. And so these thresholds that we cross are, are quite important. And so today we wanna to talk about loneliness, and I know that that could trigger some things for each of us, uh, but it's not just for the lonely person because loneliness is a human thing and it can pop up at any time. And so we wanna just be cognizant of its reality uh, and what it can do to us and how we can actually move across the threshold into friendship. And so let's get a definition a bit here for, for loneliness. Even the definition makes me sad. So take, take a look at the definition. Yeah, sadness because one has no friends or company. Yeah, I, I, it, doesn't it cause just, a, just an awe in our hearts? L loneliness is actually often can, can be invisible, and a perpetual state of loneliness is devastating to the soul. It actually has incredible impact on our bodies. So here's some signs or affects of chronic loneliness. Um, and so I just did some some uh, subtle research, simple research, and came up with a, a bunch of these common things. So you constantly are binge watching. Now, by the way, if you have one of those, these, it doesn't mean that you're lonely. Uh, but it's, it's if you have several of these, yes. Yeah. So you're constantly binge watching or just constantly on social media. Or you, you feel that relationships are one-sided. So as you reach out or you connect, it's not reciprocated. Or, or you feel like you don't have any close friends. There's not that best friend or two in which you can confide and have companionship with. Or, or you feel like you can't connect on a more intimate level. Or you care a lot about material possessions. I mean, it's a place that we can easily go when friendships don't exist or we feel lonely. Here are some of the emotional effects. We can blow things out of proportion. It's kind of that mountain out of a molehill. Uh, psychology Today says this, lonely individuals report higher levels of per uh, perceived stress even when exposed to the same stressors as non-lonely people and uh, even when they're relaxing. 
Or we can feel isolated regardless of who we're with or where we are. We can be in a crowded room. We could be at even a family reunion and just this internal sense that we don't belong. Or we, we feel overwhelmed by even the thought of being social or these feelings of unworthiness. Mark Twain said it this way, the worst loneliness is not being comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Some physical effects of loneliness. Well, you can feel tired. Uh, sleep journal discovered that chronic loneliness actually can ruin your sleep. Or, or you may like to take long, hot showers. It's a thing. Or you like hot chocolate. It's the season for hot chocolate, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I love the mint hot chocolate with the little marshmallows. Are you with me? Yeah, I do. I hear it. Yes, yes. I've got the, the, the fist in the air. Uh-huh. Nice little cup of that. I've got my special cup, my special little brew with my marshmallows. Well, I digress. But listen, a scientific journal called Emotion found a link between physical and social warmth. Feeling socially cold, you're soothed by a warm shower or a hot drink. It's part of the social convention. Or did you know you can get sick because you feel lonely? UCLA study found that the immune system of lonely people focuses on bacteria rather than viruses, meaning that lonely people are more susceptible to viral infections. So you can catch a cold by being lonely. Did you know you can catch loneliness from your friends? I don't like this last one, but it's part of the physical effects and it keep coming up. Weight gain, right? It's not, not what I want to hear. I have a 90-day goal of losing some weight. I always pick it over the holidays. Um, it's not the best goal time for losing weight, but it helps me sustain sugar-free hot chocolate, sugar-free marshmallows. Okay. They don't make sugar-free marshmallows? Is that the definition of a marshmallow? It's just sugar? They need, we, we need to start a business and make sugar-free marshmallows. No? Okay. Ann Packer says this. Lonely is a funny thing. Lonely is a funny thing. It's almost like another person. After a while, it will keep you company if you let it. So true how curious that is, that these things, like loneliness, can actually become just a twisted friend. Well, here's what statistics show. One in four people can't name a single friend. One in four people. That blew my mind. Among folks in their 20s and 30s, the number one self-described state is loneliness. Well, here's the deal. We, we know that loneliness is not just a 20s and 30s thing. It's actually a human thing. Found this quote. Lily Tomlin says this. Remember, we're all in this alone. It's a human thing to feel lonely. Well, here's the deal. We're actually created for relationship, from relationship, for really deep relationship. And that's why this sense of loneliness can get so heightened in any one of us at any time. So if we go over to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning actually is the Holy Spirit 
Spirit of God, it says, hovered over the waters. This is in the creation story in the beginning of Genesis 1. The Holy Spirit hovered over the unformed and over the void. And then God said, let there be. And there was light. And then the next day, let there be and let there be. Holy Spirit is so acquainted with that which seems void in our life or that which seems so unformed in our lives that he actually hovers over our life with delight and he is not afraid to step into that unformed place even though it feels like a swirl for you and he comes and he speaks into that space and he says, let there be fill in the blank. So as Nick and we were worshiping this morning and he paused us just to sing over I will praise even in the midst of the disconnect maybe from my finances or the disconnect in the family or a disconnect in the things that we're asking God to show up for. Know this, that Holy Spirit is present. He's not afraid of. He's very acquainted with the unformed spaces and he's been acquainted with them since the beginning of time. And even now, he wants to step in and say, let there be. Is that good news? Such good news for us. So if we go over into Genesis chapter 1, we can put that back up on the screen. We are created for relationship from deep relationship. How do we know this? Well, Genesis 1, 27, 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So please leave this up. Then God. So the Hebrew word for God here is Elohim. It's actually plural. And it's representative of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we know this because then it said, God's saying among themselves, let us. So that they're talking among themselves. They're in community, deep in relationship together, Elohim. I don't know how that works. It's beyond my thinking. But they said, let us make man in our image. We were created right out of deep relationship. And we were created for it. Because he said, we're going to make them in our image. Our image of this, there's other things, but this deep, deep relationship. That means you and I, this longing we have for belonging, for friendship, for companionship, for deep intimacy, came right out of the heart of God and his creation. So it's hardwired into us. Then he actually says to us, hey, you're blessed, go be fruitful and increase. Well, the only way you can be fruitful and increase in number with a man and a woman is this physical intimacy. So, I mean, God wanted us to be able to connect at deep levels emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, so that we could continue to increase. So there's a reason why loneliness can be such deep despair. It's a legitimate human need. It's actually a craving and a longing that has to be satisfied. That's why loneliness can be so heightened. So I want to just tell you about my own loneliness journey. Uh, for years, loneliness haunted me, but I couldn't 
name it. And I had lived an unreflective life. So most of us, we, we experience our life, but we don't do the interpretive work around our life, and we don't do it from God's perspective. And so one of the things, one of the skills that God wants us to develop in our lives is to be reflective, to actually pay attention to the things that come up in our hearts or the things that get drugged through from our past, and he wants us to be reflective on those because here's what happens. If we don't name those things, we remain reigned and ruled by them. Let me say it differently. Part of the step of recovery is to actually name things. When you can name things, you can change things. When you name things, you can begin to take power and authority over things. That's why name-calling, because we, we just try to take power and authority over folks by just naming and, and pushing names over. We do it in sports teams. It's why teams actually win more at home. There's positive naming happening. God wants us to be positive namers. So I couldn't name this thing that haunted me, and I got into my late 30s. And I, and I want to walk you through something that was really, really helpful to me. I've taken hundreds of folks through a similar process. Some have done it with me. I've done it with others. It's quite simple. You can do it for yourself. It's even better when you do it in community because we're created for community. It's where if you have something, I call it like a soul tickle. I call it like this haunting that happens inside. I can't name it, but it is so familiar. It could be a feeling. It could be a thought, and it just lingers. When you begin to reflect and you begin to name I go to God and I actually ask him, God, what is this? So it's a listening prayer time. So from last week, I might go to my cabin in the woods, metaphorically, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, and I go into that cabin and I sit down at the table and I'll have a conversation and I'll say, God, can you name what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking because I can't put words to it? So what am I doing? I'm actually going to the best counselor there is. God says he's the prince of peace, he's the counselor. I'm going to the best counselor there is, and I'm asking him to name that which is unnamed and I, I can't put my finger on. Making sense? And so, age 38, I say, God, could you name for me what I'm feeling? And the name he put to it is, you, you feel alone. And I was like, wow, I, I've felt alone all my life. So much so that I couldn't remember a time I didn't feel alone. I just thought it was normal that everybody felt alone. So I started asking people, hey, do you feel alone? Is this normal? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not normal. All of a sudden, I felt not normal. Yes. So the second thing I did after I said, God, could you help me name it? And he named it for me. What I was feeling, what I was thinking, you feel alone. Then I said, God, when did this start for me? And often when we ask that question on something like this, God will bring some kind of imagery of a situation with a parent or a teacher or a friend, and often it can be kind of in junior high or elementary years. And I couldn't, I couldn't get an initial situation where this, the first time that I felt alone. And again, it haunted me. I said, what is wrong with me that I can't figure out where this started? Until one day God gave me a picture of like this plexiglass with a baby in it. And when I say that, what do you think of? 
kind of like those little bassinets, not bayonets, bassinets in the hospital room, right, with the baby in. And I felt like God was showing me is, and I didn't know the events around my birth. He was showing me it began at the time of your birth. And so as I did a little discovery, I had a brother who was a year, excuse me, two years older than me, and he had been diagnosed with cancer right around my birth. And he had passed away when he was three and I was turning one. And so all that attachment and connection with parents and mom and the whole bit didn't happen. I was actually passed around to grandparents and all kinds of folks. And so I hadn't made that initial connection. And so that sense of belonging didn't get established for me. Does that make sense? So then next step is I said, God, what did I come to believe? Where were you? What did I come to believe about me? And, and, and God began to show me that I was there at your birth, just like I'm here now, and I've been with you all along. And he began to just heal my soul. It was amazing. So let me just take a step back, tell you what that was. That's just a listening conversation prayer with God, asking him first to name something that you're feeling, thinking. Put words to it so you can begin to take steps to recover. And then asking God, God, when did that start for me? And then asking God, where were you or what did I come to believe about you or about me in that place? And it's amazing the journey that that can take you on. Do you see how simple that is? You can do that for yourself. You can do that with others and begin to find some healing. Well, I didn't realize this, but I actually needed some counseling around that, you know, some therapy. So a number of years later, I was actually with a counselor, not about that. I went to an intensive for three days, stayed in this couple's home. Uh, they're about in their 70s. And they took me through some intensive counseling over three days. Sound like fun? Three days. Yeah, three days all about me and my stuff. It was over lunch. I had expressed kind of this journey of loneliness, and the counselor said to me, I wonder if you've misnamed what you felt. And I said, what do you mean? What you called loneliness may have actually been the presence of God in your life. As, and again, I was resistant, but as soon as she said that, it's like God backfilled every memory of loneliness with his presence in a way that came over me like a flood and I can't describe. And I realized I wasn't alone, but God was with me. God was with me. God was with me. And he was so present. So even now, if I pull into my garage and my family is away and I might have this sense of loneliness well up, I'm reminded of that's God's presence in my life. I've renamed it to look for his presence. Now, I'm not suggesting that's one-to-one -one for you. My story is not your story. But it might give you courage in the sense of if you feel lonely, perhaps it's actually the echo of eternity, the call of God who has made you to say, I want to fill that space in your heart and I am drawing near, and I'm actually highlighting the longing that you have that only I can fill. That's what Holy Spirit does in terms of the swirl and filling in the gaps of the unformed and the void. It's reflection, 
It's naming. It's asking God. And here's what that's done for me on a journey like that. I recognize that I'm still vulnerable to isolation. So I have to continue to name that with people around me. But I've also noticed that I have a high resilience see, to being alone in a sense that it doesn't bother me, but here's why. I've learned to connect with the Father as my friend. The Father in heaven is ever present to me as kind of that forever friend. He's put his spirit in me, and so I have this sense of confidence, and it allows me now to step out of my loneliness across the threshold to be a friend in a confident way. Well, I want to take us into one of my favorite scriptures and pictures in the scriptures. It's, um, it's Psalm 91, verses 1 to 4. And uh, the imagery here, the metaphor, is about a bird, and, uh, and it's a metaphor about what evil can do, and it's a metaphor about God's care. So let's read it real quick. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. So Fowler's snare and the Father's care is what I want us to see this morning, but it needs a little description. So Fowler, it has to do with fowls or, or birds that you may want to trap for food. And so what the Fowler or the trapper or the hunter would do in this imagery is when a bird is taking off from the ground into flight, that is the place that they're most vulnerable and so what they would do is they would set nets off the ground mid in the trees to capture the vulnerable birds. They called it the fowler's snare. So as the bird took flight, they'd get caught in the net, and then they were, they were trapped. Here's why I love this portion of Scripture. Anytime that I'm crossing a threshold, whether it's from victim to a difference maker, or from loneliness or to friendship, any threshold that I'm crossing, I'm often vulnerable when I'm going to open myself up to make that crossing. If you think of the imagery of the bird, you begin to open yourself up. Now pause. God tells us to mount up with wings like eagles. Did you know, I mean, you and I, we're, we're made to soar. He says, look, you're a masterpiece. There's no condemnation. You're more than conquerors. I've given you life and life abundant and free. I've given to you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And God's actually set us up to soar like eagles in life. Do you believe that? But often we find ourselves on the ground, and that's not judgment. We find ourselves in places different than what we're made for. And then we find ourselves, well, I'm going to take that step this time and then we open ourselves up and we're quite vulnerable when we want to go sore. And that's when the evil one wants to trap us. And so for us to know that, yes, it's vulnerable to cross the threshold out of loneliness. It's vulnerable to go to God and actually ask Him 
what he might think or say about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. But actually, it's one of the safest places because he's made us to soar and he wants to help us past the fowler's snare. If we could put the verse back up, because here's what he says. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. I get this imagery. It's as if he's taking off, I'm covered under his wings, and he knows how to bust right past the fowler's snare, and then he helps me to soar. It's kind of the imagery that I get. And so we're going to invite ourselves to name, if necessary, what's been haunting us all those years. And actually, let's even pause right now and do that. Maybe you're haunted by something. Could be loneliness. But maybe you can't name it. Could we even pause right now? I mean, this ought to be one of the safest places where we could talk about the things that both haunt us, but also the joy that we celebrate. We want to be able to talk about both things. Could we pause right now? And maybe there's a haunting for you. And by the way, this may not be for you. Well, you just pray for those around you. But let's just pause. Let's just go to God and say, God, is, could you name something that I've been feeling and maybe it's called loneliness? So do that right now. Ask God, the great counselor. God, could you name that which has been haunting me? that I could not name? Ask God, God, where did that start for me? Might bring an image in childhood. Don't be afraid of it. Don't dismiss anything. God, what did I come to believe in that moment? All right, let's pause right there. I realize what we've done is we've just tried to take flight in a bit of a journey, and it's a little bit vulnerable what we just asked you to do. And so here's what I want to say. If there were some significant things that God spoke to you in that 45 seconds, and it's amazing what that, can, what that can be like and what can happen in that amount of time. We do have a care line, a counsel line that you can connect with. We will have folks up here afterwards for prayer who would love to just listen to your story and pray with you. But I encourage you to hold on to, hold on to the things that God's speaking to you and go on that journey as vulnerable as it might feel to cross the threshold out of loneliness into friendship with an amazing God. So let's do that. Let's, let's actually define friendship. It's a close association between two people marked by feelings of care and respect, admiration, concern, and even love. And, and here's the truth as it relates to friendship. Most adults don't know how to make friends or to be a friend. So if that's you, you're in good company. And here's a, here's a myth to dispel. We don't find friends, we make friends. Oh, if I could just find some friends. 
if we could put aside that myth and say friends are made, not simply found, I think it really helps us. The proverb that tells us this, a man or a woman who has friends must himself, herself be friendly. And see, this is exactly what Jesus does. So can we look at Jesus for a moment? Is that acceptable here? Here's what Jesus did. Jesus actually prayerfully chose his friends. So, so look at this in Luke. Jesus went out to the mountainside and he prayed. Catch this. He spent the night praying. Now, I don't know about you. There hasn't, I, I don't remember the last time I spent the night praying. Now, if I have prayed about friends, it's the ones I have. And I'm like, God, why'd you give me this friend? And why'd you? No, 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 no. But to actually go to God and pray all night about friends. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. There was this identification process with the father about the type and the person he wanted him to have friendship with going forward. Jesus even said in chapter 15 of John, he says this, you didn't choose me, these, these disciples, but I have chosen you. So we see that Jesus chose his friends, and he, he did it prayerfully. Jesus actually initiates the friendship. He goes to where the people are to make the friends. Jesus invites friendship. He invites people, hey, come be with me where I am. And then Jesus actually explains his friendships this way, where it comes from and why. Let's take a look at John 15. Verses 9 to 17. This is out of the Passion Translation. Just love this translation. He says, I love you with the same love the Father loves me. This is what he's saying to his friends. Have you ever said that to your friends? I want you to know I love you the same way that the Father loves me. You see, when we can find resolve from the previous damage or the hurt or the sense of loss or the brokenness in relationships, and we can go to the Father and name it, and then we can actually have Him bring healing in those moments, just like we began to do moments ago. When we find that sense of resolve, and often you can't just do it in yourself, it has to be in community, you might need to have a counselor, and therapy is good, and by the way, healthy people ask for help, so it's really good to ask others to step into that help. Then you can move into the place where I am receiving friendship with, from God and it allows me to have resolve to step into friendship and even open myself up for a new sense of hurt. So I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Love that. To allow the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to nourish my heart. We sang about it. He lavishes my heart. And then Jesus, he, he says this thing curiously. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love. We'll see how that connects a bit further. Just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continual, continually live nourished and empowered by his love. Interesting that he would call us to obedience to enjoy his love and the nourishment in our hearts. So there must be something good for us about doing the things that he asks us to do. It's like he commands us into full hearts. Pretty significant. 
Then he says this, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. I mean, he just wants this for us. So this is my command then. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is, the, is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. And Jesus is foreshadowing the death he is going to die willingly on their behalf. He's going to give up his life for his friends on a cruel cross for something he did not do so that they could be rescued, not just out of loneliness, but in forever friendship with the God of the universe. Have you come to the place where you've recognized that Jesus has sacrificed all? He calls you friend. He invites you and says, I will be your forever friend here and in the afterlife. Is that not an amazing thing? And here's what he goes on to say. You show that you are intimate friends when you obey all that I command. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from the Father. Did you know that Jesus is still looking for friends? Jesus is still choosing friends. Jesus chooses you as a friend. And he comes to you and to me and says, I call you friend. And I want to tell you all that the Father has taught me. I want to introduce you to my Father. He's your Father. I want to put my spirit in you. And you can know this deep love, the depth of it, the breadth of it, and in fact, it will ooze out of you. And then he goes on and say, verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I have chosen you and commissioned you to go into the world and actually bear fruit and your fruit will last because whatever you ask of my father for my sake, he will give to you. So this is my parting command, love one another deeply. Going off script a bit, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13, which is a chapter about love, and I think it's so helpful. Again, this is the Passion Translation. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than clanging cymbals. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possess unending supernatural, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. Then he says this, love is large and incredibly patient. Have you been around a large person who just brings you in? Love is large and patient. Love that. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. If you feel in a defeated place today, 
around loneliness, or around finding friends. God comes to you, and the Bible says that God is love, and he invites us out of the defeat to cross the threshold, to not give up, to step into friendship. So how do we do that? It's a conversation thing. We actually can talk to God. I mean, maybe you've been hurt by your friends. Well, talk to God about your friends. It's a safe place to gossip, right? You go right to God, just talk to him about your friends. I'm serious. Talk to God about your friends. Or you can be like Jesus where you actually go in and ask God, God, could you identify for me friendships? Some of you in this room are great at friendships. And the call today might be that you'd, God would identify that lonely person who you've seen maybe sit by themselves week after week and you just actually say, hey, come sit with us. Or you've caught in the atrium where they're just look like a deer in the headlights, and you come over and you, a nice little handshake and say hello. Would God alert us to those kinds of things in the workplace, in the neighborhood? It's a calendar thing. In other words, what if we made space in our calendars, even this week, a one-hour block, opened up our calendar, opened up our budget, opened up our hearts, opened up our hands, and we made a simple invitation to an individual in need and said, hey, could we have coffee? You say, what do I do in that moment? Hey, could we have coffee? I'd love to hear your story. Could we have coffee? I'd love to tell you my story. By the way, don't tell them your story for 30 minutes because nobody wants to hear 30 minutes of a story, right? Take five minutes, let them take five minutes, popcorn back and forth. We, we have to be trained into how to do these things. We've lost the art because the best we have is 140 characters on Twitter. The best we've got is, what are you doing today? Oh, I just ate Chipotle, right? That's what, we, that's what we post, that's what we do, and it gives us the illusion of connection. It's also a responsibility thing. It's the practice of giving our lives away and actually being friendly. So we have the rule of three. Try it three times, have coffee for three times with that person. Connect three times. Bring them over for the game. Have dinner. Meet early in the atrium just to have conversation. Try it three times before you give up. So in close today, for your next step, go ahead and put that up. Perhaps it's just talking to God about the friends that you need. Perhaps it's talking to God about the hurt that you had to get resolve. Or it's, I need to just make space in my calendar to build relationships. I'm gonna take 30 minutes and at work I'm gonna make the rounds and I'm just gonna talk to people in the cubes. It's a powerful thing to have a practice of making space. So here's the question, would you this week make the invite? And the invite's two-sided. If you're hurt, you feel lonely and you need some resolve in that, would you invite somebody into that conversation with you? Could be one of our prayer team, could be a trusted friend. But if you know how to make friends, would you make the invite this week to somebody who needs a friend? Ask God about it. Open up your calendar and make the invite. One overture this week that would make all the difference in making friends. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to say thank you 
that you've shown us how to cross the threshold from loneliness to friendship. Would you work this out in us as a people over a decade that when people get around us, they don't sense our despair, but they actually sense the presence of God and friendship with the Father. Would you put a stake in the ground this day going forward that we would learn how to make space to build relationships, oh God. Bring to our mind even now the people, the person who needs a friend. We just say thank you. Things that are from you today, sink them in our hearts. Those things that are not from you and not for us, would you cast it off that it would have no impact? And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.